Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 323, A New Designer's Design Kit. Presented by Kyle Ott and Riley Parks. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to this wonderful game talk. My name is Kyle Ott. I am one half of the creative partnership known as Desks and Dorks. Joining me is my illustrious co-host and one of the greatest human beings I've ever had the privilege to know. Well, thank you, Kyle. I appreciate it. I am Riley Parks, the other half of, again, Desks and Dorks, otherwise known as the Desk while you are the Dork, of course. Our fans have been known as the Daddies or the Dad Bod, uh, which was established yesterday during our panel talk. Shout out to anybody who is there for our workshop panel talk. Uh, so if you were a part of that before, you're now lovingly part of the dad bod. But welcome. This talk is called What We Wish We Knew. Uh, so I am a game designer. I've got about, I will say about five years of experience across a number of different industries. Um, and I really wanted a toolkit approach that I literally sat down and I was like, man, if somebody had approached 18-year-old me, 20-year-old me and said, hey, this is the stuff that you wish you're going to want to know when you started out. I realized that that wasn't a presentation that was out there, uh, and it was something that I wanted to put together. And then when Riley and I formed this podcast and this partnership, he has added a bunch of stuff on managing media and getting in touch with businesses. And I'll be covering the non-game-related stuff because that is my expertise. The non-game-related, game-related stuff. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit about us. Uh, my name is Kyle Ott, obviously, as I've mentioned. I'm one of the co-founders of Desks and Dorks. I started making games when I was eight, uh, not 18, when I was 19 years old as a junior at Mount St. Mary's University. Uh, Co-designed a course on board games and history. We made like 12 ready-to-play games that are still a part of their curriculum. And I co-taught that class as a junior. It was awesome. I worked at a studio called Floor 84 for a hot minute. So if anyone is a fan of Barbie Starlight Adventure and or Hot Wheels Make It Epic Road Race, what up? You're welcome. Uh, I also did escape room design in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania for historically accurate uh, escape rooms. I am currently a demo team member for Yellow Games. I'm also a consultant for their educational games. When I'm not gaming, I'm teaching fourth grade English. Uh, again, you're welcome. And uh, I'm a de the designer of a party game that's coming out called Happy Cactus, which is coming out through Duck Yeah Games, uh, about basically adding different traits to a cactus to make it either more or less huggable. Uh, you can follow me on my personal Twitter at ot underscore Kyle, and then we'll give Riley a chance to introduce himself. All right, guys. So like I said, I'm Riley, uh, again, one of the co-founders of Desk and Zorks. Like I said, I'm a lot newer into this, uh, making connections, networking, and all of that fun stuff as a part of my day job as a retail manager at a relatively high-end and very popular uh, retail establishment. Very posh. Very posh, but not at all, actually. More history. With that being said, I created my first actual playable prototype about a month and a half ago in September of 2020, and I only created it because I got married, and this man was my officiant, and I kind of had to give him a gift of some sort to show my appreciation. So this is all a whole new world to me. I'm completely new to board gaming. Prior to starting the podcast in May of this year, I had probably played no more than 10 to 12 separate types or separate board games in general my entire life. So this is definitely new, 
but I can definitely help you with a lot of the networking and getting to know people. Uh, as always, you can follow me at Ralph T um, on Twitter. The spelling's on there because it's not a normal word. He's underselling himself a lot. He's a really he's the business side of the Desks and Dorks brand, which is actually one of the more important things. Uh, you can follow us at Twitter at Desks Dorks. Our Instagram is of course Desks and Dorks. Uh, we run a March Madness style bracket where I went to my friends in the gaming industry. I said, what's the game that you knew that you'd get laughed out of the room if you tried to pitch? Uh, so we have everything from Samurai Lizards to a game about managing a, uh, shall we call it a high risk safari zone slash game preserve for fantasy heroes uh, to a game all about essentially raising an occult deity as parents in the 1950s. Uh, it's a big March Madness style bracket. That's our Desks and Dorks podcast. All of our information is there. We'll put these slides up and make them available for everybody else. So. Let's talk a little bit. The first thing we want to get rolling with is the non-game related stuff, which is often the thing that most people are the most worried about. Um, but it is the stuff that's most essential. The first thing that you need to do is you need to make a playtest group. Um, I have so many people in my own life. We have a playtest group here in uh, Hanover, Pennsylvania, lovely Hanover, Pennsylvania. So if you ever want to venture out to central PA and be a part of our group for a day or two, you can. Um, but we have friends that we have our own, but you really need to start immediately testing whatever game that you've got. Um, even if you don't have a game, this is a really good place to start discussing with people. You're going to get your ideas. You're going to get data. Um, the biggest thing about a playtest group is that you're going to get future work or future partners. Uh, almost every gig that I have gotten, including my new publishing deal with Ducky yeah Games, was because I brought my game to a group of friends. And then when we sat down and we played it at Gen Con last year, publisher happened to be walking by, said, hey, can I have a seat? Um, sat there for about 20, 30 minutes, texted on his phone. Afterwards, he said, hey, you have an you have a interview tomorrow with Atlas Games. And if they don't want your game, I want your game. Um, and it was just it worked just like that it would not have happened if I didn't have a group of people to play with. It, it also makes motivation to get to shows and networking a little bit easier. I realize that networking is often a really scary thing for people, uh, especially in our tabletop space. I noticed that's almost like a dirty word. Uh, but it's going to be a lot easier if you know that you're going to a networking event, if you're, you know, sitting next to your best friend or if you met somebody else that you played their prototype with. And now you're at the bar drinking margaritas and trying new stuff out. Um, I've gotten numerous job opportunities and connections just because I had a couple playtest friends who said, hey, Kyle, come on over and have a have a, you know, have a burger with us. Come over and play, you know, sing karaoke with us later tonight. It, it always works out in the end, but making that playtest group is not is not just great for your game, but it's essential essentially for your networking experience. Uh, while we're talking about that, networking is probably the most important thing. I know it's that one thing that's done to death where they say it's not who you know, it's what you or not what you know, it's who you know. Um, and it, but it's especially true for the games industry. You'll realize that this industry is incredibly small. How small? Uh, two years ago, I wound up playing a prototype after hours at an unpub event. And then when Riley reached out to a company about getting a prototype game and that company fired back and said, hey, do you want to be a part of a Metatopia and maybe do a panel? It turns out that we had talked to the same person um, who's Heather. And, yes, who is Heather O'Neill, who is a fantastic, uh, just a fantastic individual in general for ninth level games. Uh, but it's a small industry. The more people that you know, the better off that you're going to be. Um, and the nicer of a person you are, the more fun you are to be around or the more generally kind you are, the better off you're going to do. But if you're like, Kyle, Riley, I don't get it. It's really hard. That's really scary. Um, don't sweat it so much. Start local. Um, our comic store had a protest or not a protest group, a play test group. I'm crossing my crossing the beams here. Um, 
had a playtest group. Your local game store does. I know our local library uh, had a group of seniors that met all the time for board games. And usually it was bridge. Uh, and then we brought stuff like just one. Uh, we brought stuff like skull. We brought like basic party games. And I mean, I'm not ashamed to admit I got dunked on by a 70 year old woman with a walker, like in a game, like it was awesome. Um, and those are the kind of people that you're going to want to meet up with. I'm always like kind of inspired by the original stories. For example, one of the guys who was like the early guy, early, like one of the first adventure writers for D and D modules, um, ran a playtest group for homebrew Dungeons and Dragons modules in the basement of his church. Cause he was a youth pastor there, uh, which is really, really essential. Uh, if you're a college student or if you're somebody who's going back to school, your campus is one of the best places for that because everyone has a lot of free time and some people even have gosh disposable income surprise wow um that could be an incredible thing for you to do as well um look to go bigger too there's a ton of shall we say middleweight conventions or smaller conventions um we are sort of spoiled for choice where i live which is in south central pennsylvania uh, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania has a smaller convention run by Gettysburg College called the LynnCon. Uh, the Hunt Valley, Maryland has Unpub. There are smaller Comic Cons all over the place, and that's where you could luckily chance into some people who are making some games. I know when I went to my first Comic Con, which had all of like, I think, 1,200 people in attendance, it had just so happened that Steve Jackson Games had sent a representative. Um, and so I left with like an armful of like promos for Munchkin at the time. I was a huge Munchkin fan. Um, but Afterwards, it was one of those things where I was able to have a conversation with him and ask, like, what is it, what is, you know, what does it take to become a company representative? Um, that particular opportunity didn't pan out, but it was still a conversation I never would have been able to have um, if I had not done that. Um, another really great way to make networking happen. I'm one of those people that, like, if I don't have a purpose to be in a spot, I get kind of awkward. Um, join a demo team. Those are the people who get paid to teach games to consumers or to publishers or store retailers at a convention. Um, I can, speaking from experience, I love working for the Yellow Demo Team. If you like King of Tokyo or any of those style of games, it's a total blast and a half. You'll probably see me at some point if COVID ever decides to go away. You'll probably see me again in a yellow t-shirt with the yellow logo. Um, on it as well, but Re I know Renegade is constantly looking for demo team members, Smirk and Dagger. I, I know Kurt, I've had dinner with Kurt before from Smirk and Dagger. Awesome guy. Their demo team is great. Um, Haba is one of the more fantastic ones, and I, I think I put an extra B in there for okay. Haba. Shh, don't tell anyone. I, I know their community manager. She'll, re she'll read me out for it later. It's fine. <laughs> um, but seriously, joining a demo team can want to be can be one of the easiest ways to network. Again, uh, the game group that I brought Happy Cactus to was a group of my friends from Yellow. The publisher happened to be working for Yellow at that convention. That's why he stopped by. We started playing. It wound up turning into a pretty big opportunity for me personally. So, again, those are all really simple ways to network. And, again, this is the best industry to network because if you work in the games industry, chances are you like board games. And... Literally, if that's what you're into and if that's what you like doing, then you can at least network while you're playing a game. Um, I know numerous people who have gotten business opportunities from, I don't know, a game of Access and Allies or playing, I mean, well, it's not out yet, so I can't say Viscounts of the West Kingdom, but like Paladins of the West Kingdom. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things where if you really break it down to these are people that like what I like, these are people that want to do what I want to do. 
it becomes so, so, so much easier. Um, I really think it embrace, embracing the fear of networking is an essential thing. There's nothing wrong with making friends because that's no. all you're doing. You're making connections. You're making business partners. Literally starting it off with a friendly chat is all that it takes. Yeah, and even if you don't wind up with a business opportunity, it's still – you could the worst thing that you could do is potentially make a new friend. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends that I made at New York City Toy Fair, not a business thing at all, but, like, he's a huge MMA guy. I was a wrestler for a number of years. We literally just text about boxing matches. It's awesome. Like, I have a boxing friend now. <laughs> it's great. All right. Let's talk about the game-related stuff. I know that's what you guys are really, really interested in is the game-related stuff. So, first things first, this is something that I have borrowed from software design. It is something that I cannot stress enough. This is agile development. It is the idea that you need to make a product and that the most valuable thing about making a product is that you can get it into the hands of a consumer. They can give you feedback and then you can begin to iterate on that product to make it better. Um, those of you who took part in our prototyping and playtesting panel yesterday, that's a lot of alliteration, um, <laughs> will remember this story. We have a gentleman who is part of our playtest group who every time he comes in, we're like, hey, man, where's your dungeon crawler? He's, he's like, oh, no, I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. And, you know, it's, it's too much. It's too much to bring to one night. He's been saying that now for six months. Uh, I will probably go to my grave long before I ever actually get to see this dungeon crawler. Um, because he's just he won't bring it in and if you don't bring it in you don't know if you're wasting time on a game that doesn't work um so seriously the best thing that you can do make an agile design kit or what i call an agile design kit put in some cards in sleeves random cards if you have old magic the gathering cards or old playing cards lying around sleeve them up and then if you're ready to make a game design write it on pieces of paper or print it out cut them out slip them into the card sleeves you're ready to go um Put some dice in there. Put some meeples, sharpies, poster board, whiteboard if you're bougie and you can afford it. The whiteboard dry erase cards and some dry erase markers so that if the need to make something strikes you, you can, in fact, just make something and get it into the hands of people. I literally cannot tell you how many times I have been working on a prototype, whether it's mine or whether it belongs to another developer or another publisher, and halfway through someone's like this isn't working and they're like yeah it's not and everybody agrees and the next week they come back with a drastically different product but if you had spent five years and a huge budget on art only to find out that it doesn't work after you know the second encounter or the third round of your game you're out a ton of money and time uh, there is a huge fear i think among most developers and this was a fear that i was lucky that i, I didn't have and i don't know if it's just because i didn't know enough to be afraid when i first started out or if, because my background was different but there's a fear that like well you know what if it's bad yes who cares what if it's bad is not something to stop you from making a prototype if it's bad you can continue to iterate on it and fix it if it's bad and it's already gone to market if it's bad and you've sunk seven eight grand or three years of your life into it then it's a problem but if it's bad in the first 15 minutes there is nothing stopping you from saying you know what let's pack it up for today we'll play something different i'll bring it back next week now uh, this is if you take one thing from this i think this is one of the most important ones to take with you so uh i like to bring in a lot of examples from other types of venues and this is one of the ones that i love the most this is mario and rayman rapids uh, which basically plays out like a cross between XCOM and Mario Brothers. It is literally the fever dream of somebody who spent way too much time cuddled up with a Nintendo 
while thinking about sci-fi action games. Um, but the reason that I bring this up is to illustrate a much greater point. You should always, always have something to bring to a pitch or to a play test group thing. Um, ideas are cheap. Ideas are easy. The actual physical work is hard to come by and it is worth something. Um, this game got published uh, because the gentleman who is the game's director, a man by the name of Derek Sloyami, and I'm, I know that I'm butchering that poor man's last name. He's Italian. I apologize. Um, the only reason this happened was that Shigeru Miyamoto was visiting their offices and they had made, shocker, a tabletop prototype of this game. They had it out and waiting for Miyamoto when he arrived for their pitch. Uh, they gave him the pitch. He said, this is really intriguing. And they go, if you're interested, would you like to play the first level? And he was like, I would. Um, and they played it, and it's gone on to become one of the better-selling ones. I, with it, multiple iterations. Yes, yeah. it, with multiple yeah, with multiple iterations. Or I think there's an, another uh, yeah. sequel coming out later on this year. Um, if you've ever seen the guy crying at the E3, which they kind of memed him for it, which was really sad, because uh, he was like a lifelong Nintendo fan, and like working for Miyamoto was his dream, which is why he was like sobbing tears of joy. Uh, but this is one of my favorite life lessons. The only reason this game got published, the only reason this ridiculous idea got made was because they had a physical thing to show someone. If you're going to a playtest group, if you're going to meet with a publisher, have something ready. I know that that's probably been beaten into you guys already, this convention, because many of you were part of the Guppy Bowl or probably part of the other workshops that we were doing. But if you have not heard this before, have your sell sheet, have a functioning prototype, have something to show other individuals. I literally cannot stress the importance of that value. It is one of, if not the most important thing about getting your game out there, have something to show. A basic prototype, super, super basic, even cards in a sleeve, when announced that it is a basic prototype to give you the idea of how the game plays yeah. makes the world of difference. They're not going to look at it and go, this is terrible. These are just a bunch of little things with eyes on a card. Yes. They're going to go, okay, I have a visualization of what I want to do. Case in, I'm gonna play it. case in point, we're working on a game called Slime Pope, where you are of the religious leader for a group of monsters. Uh, this is the prototype. Look at this beautiful art. Picasso I am not, but it functions. It works. Uh, it is something that you can work with and do. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be playable. And that is something that is really, really difficult for some people to get in through their heads. Some people come in with it. This is my baby. It needs to be. It doesn't need to be anything except playable. That's the only thing that it needs to be. Art can be changed. Theme can be changed. But if the central conceit of your game is good, then the central conceit of your game is good. And that's the best part about it. All right, let's talk about running a playtest session. This is something that I think a lot of people do need some help with. It's something that even me, who's done, God, I forget how many games at this point, I still am trying to work on. I'm still trying to streamline. I'm still trying to make better. So a couple do's. Uh, make sure that you record audio or video. I cannot stress this enough. Please make sure that you ask for consent before you do that. Uh, it does not come up often, but I have been to playtest groups where I was like, hey, does anyone remind if we record audio? And someone was like, yeah, I do. I don't want to be recorded. You know what? Absolutely. That's cool. I'll just take notes. But audio and video playtest is one of the audio and video recordings for stuff. One of the most important things that you can do. Um, it provides you with that nonverbal cues that you would otherwise miss during a playtest session. Somebody who go who plays a card and goes, huh, 
or somebody who has their whole turn basically blanked because their opponent does like one action and they're like, are things that you're going to miss. Um, if you are present, especially for a play test, uh, people generally tend to be a little bit nicer about it. And while that is very kind and very reasonable of them, it's not exactly particularly helpful in terms of game design. Uh, so please make sure that you record audio and video uh, of your playtests. You can literally get a re simple recording app on your iPhone or your uh, cheap knockoff Motorola phone uh, for whatever reason. Totally, totally worth it. Um, but again, make sure you've got some, some sort of recording audio and video. Uh, you can provide feedback sheets. These are particularly good if you're looking for a specific part of your game to sort of sharpen, to make more efficient. Um, if you're, you know, like making a dungeon crawler and you're like, ah, my combat system is just the worst. Have your feedback sheet be totally tailored to your combat system. Um, if you're like, I really need to see how playtesters are responding to the theme or the flavor text of my cards. Have your whole feedback sheet be about the theme, the flavor text of your cards. Um, that is essential. If you are looking for specific stuff, feedback sheets are a great way to do it. Uh, put your playtesters in a group. Uh, this could be on Facebook, Steam, if you use Tabletop Simulator or Discord to aggregate that feedback. Uh, you'll find that playtesters will start talking to each other. And even if you ask a question and don't get a good answer to it, sometimes the good answer can be found in that conversation. Um, don't do what I did for a recent playtest where I literally put, I sent out individual emails to people because it was during the pandemic. I sent people a print and play. I got feedback from one group out of like 34. Don't do what I did. Don't, don't make it more difficult on yourself initially. Just do, do yourself a favor, set up a playtest group, talk to those people, see what they're going to say. It, it will save you a ton of time and effort. Uh, do listen to every suggestion, and I'm going to jump over to the don't side of things. You don't have to implement every single suggestion, but it does help that you listen to it. Take some notes. Even if it doesn't answer the question directly that you're looking for, this could provide inspiration for future uh, for future games, for future problems. Uh, it, it's just one of those things that I really think you should listen to, even if it doesn't provide you with anything. A playtester is somebody who has given you their time. And time's precious to all of us. We only get a finite amount of it here on this earth. The fact that they're willing to give you a half an hour, an hour, two hours, four hours, if you're one of those brave souls that's out there prototyping your Euro game, thank them for it. Make them feel like they are listened to. Again, you don't have to implement every single part of it, but you do have to at least listen to it. You owe them that much for taking the time to sit down and play your game. Do take your own notes. Uh, whether you are listening to the audio of the game or whether you are actually pleasant, present for the playtest. Hopefully it's a pleasant playtest. Uh, you should be taking your own notes. Um, I had a wonderful professor in college who helped start South by Southwest, you know, tiny show. I had a meeting with him about a board game that I was making, and I said, hey, do you mind sending me the notes uh, that we had from this meeting? He goes, I do. Take your own notes. I think fast. Keep up or don't. No one had ever talked to me like that before, and it's some of the best advice that I've ever gotten. Um, and this is especially essential because if you decide to table a design, uh, pun fully intended, and you meet a publisher who says, hey, you know, I don't want the game that you presented to me today, but we're looking for, I don't know, a roll and write, a push your luck dice game, whatever. And you happen to have one of those in your back pocket, but you're like, oh my gosh, I needed to make changes. And I go, you know, you'll go back through your files, you'll go back through the prototypes, like, where are those at? You will be grateful that you took your own notes. 
last but certainly not least, please try not to be uh, be present if you can. Um, blind playtesting will save you all kinds of trouble. Um, I was playtesting a game for children. It's a cooperative drafting game where everyone is sort of picking from a pool of cards. And in order to do damage to a monster, you have to draft two sword cards. The, which I did not think was going to be an issue in the rules. Problem is that the sword cards had two swords on them. And so listening to the audio of that blind playtest, they were like, okay, it says I have to have two swords to do a damage to a monster. There are two swords on this card. Does he mean one card, one damage, two cards, one damage? And that conversation went on for, I kid you not, 15 minutes. It was brutal to listen to, but if I had been there to explain it, then that little bit of visual confusion would be something that I would have no idea about. Blind playtesting is your best friend. We'll go through the don'ts rather quickly. Uh, don't just talk about it. You will lose track of it. Uh, make sure that there is a way that they can get that feedback to you, whether it's through the feedback sheets, whether it's getting that audio or that video recording, whether it's that conversation that you have in your playtest group's Discord, whatever. Um, Make sure that they have a way to contact you. Make sure they have a way to discuss stuff with you. Again, don't implement every suggestion. Not every suggestion is going to work. Not every gamer likes the same stuff. Just kind of an essential thing. Uh, the five and six for this one are pretty simple. Don't nitpick. Uh, if somebody says, hey, your game's not fun, don't take it personally. They're trying to help you as best they can. Um, you do not have to nitpick. It's not always potentially useful. Um, and don't explain every little detail of your game. Don't be like, well, you screwed up. You didn't, you know, get the fourth chunk of coal during turn seven, and that's why you're having a miserable time. They don't care. I can tell you right now that they do not care. Ooh. We're good? Yep. Awesome. Let's keep talking. Uh, yeah, don't explain every little detail. Just, you know, let it breathe. Give them some time. Help them out. All right. Pitching to a publisher. Uh... This is the point where I usually ask, you know, how, show of hands, how many people want to see their game published? You are all faceless internet blobs at this point, so I won't ask that. But I'm assuming that if you're here at Metatopia, you are interested in getting your game published, and why wouldn't you be? Um, the idea and the allure of being a full-time game designer or a full-time creative is something that is incredibly appealing to everybody, and there's a reason for that. But a few tips. First, do your research, figure out what that company specializes in, and make sure that you know what that company's primary audience looks like. If you have a dark, gritty, uh, like berserk and Dark Souls-inspired dungeon slog where you remove the limbs of monsters and then you wind up grafting those limbs onto your body, nobody steal that. That's a cool idea. That's my idea now. It's been a thing, actually. Josh, darn it. They take all my things. I want to make my own limb-grafting game. But if you have a game like that... Um, don't try to pitch it to Haba or Goliath Games, which generally make stuff for children. Uh, they're not interested. They don't want it. Uh, by a similar stretch of the imagination, if you have a 15-card light bluffing game about sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns, you probably don't want to pitch it to Steamforged Games. Um, make sure that you know what your company's primary audience looks like. Present a sell sheet. Uh, this is something that's also essential. Make sure that you have a sell sheet. Uh, it doesn't have to be fancy. We talked with a designer who might actually be getting a publishing deal from this convention. His sell sheet was very, very simple. Um, just like a couple bullet points about what made his game great. He picked like what looked like a stock template from Google. 
it had the name of the game it had on the it. The name of the game his on name it. And, and his contact information. Make sure you have your contact information. Probably less than thirty words. Yes. The whole, including yep. names and everything. Yep. And it would, but it was simple. But it was something that he could show to a publisher if they're interested in your pitch and they like your game idea. They just need to know how to get in touch with you. But again, it goes back to have something to show someone. So like, sheets are the business cards of the yes. gaming world. Yes. And Games business. are also the business cards of the gaming world. Well, that too, but in the purest of yes. comparisons. Yes, yes, yes. Um, again, don't just know about your game. Know what your game could bring to the table. Um, publishers get pitched a ton. All the time. And treat it not like they're doing you a favor. Treat it like you could potentially do them a favor by bringing your game into their fold. Um, some publishers are looking to get a specific group. Some publishers are looking to add a game that fits a certain type. Like maybe they're desperate again. I keep going back to roll and write because that's like the new hotness right now. Maybe they're desperate for a roll and write game. It doesn't help if you just know what games you've got. It helps to know what game, what your game could bring to the table. Again, pun fully intended. We've talked about bringing something to show. Um, your rules should be polished. Your gameplay should be set. Um, those are the things that you need to have when you're bringing a prototype. Uh, you can shift themes. You can shift visuals. You can shift cosmetics. But just make sure that your core game is ba is balanced for where it's at. Because, uh, again, a publisher might make changes to the rules. But just make it balanced and ready to play or balanced and ready to show. This will help you move mountains. Cannot stress this enough. All right. We're going to go through this as well. This is So You're Stuck, uh, How to Get Unstuck. These are some tips and tricks that have helped me over the years with my designs. Um, I have lifted them shamelessly from other designers, and I will credit them as I can. This might seem like a little bit of a, shall we say, uh, treading familiar ground if you were one of those friends who were part of our prototype playtesting session already. But one of the best ways to do it, first and foremost, is limiting yourself. Uh, if you're familiar with a very small game called Magic the Gathering, one of the best ways to actually go through and help yourself get a new design is to put constraints on yourself. Uh, Mark Rosewater, who is the lead designer for Magic the Gathering, has said multiple times that he feels that when his team and he are the most creative, it's when they've limited themselves. If you're making a dice rolling game and you're stuck, what happens if any player who rolls a four is just eliminated? If you're making a card game and it's a just a drafting game, but you're like, God, there's nothing interesting or unique about this. What happens if you have to play your opponent's hand and they have to play yours? You're drafting your opponent's deck. Um, what happens if you're making a real-time game, but you can only manipulate the pieces with your elbow? Um, these are the kind of limits and constraints that are going to be really helpful. Uh, I include dark, included excuse me, Darkest Dungeon on here because this was a game that we're like, well... Heroes aren't just bastions of, of power. What happens if they go insane? What happens if the mental stress of their profession starts to weigh down on them? Um, and that limitation has given rise to one of the most popular games uh, that's ever left Steam early access. So pretty useful. Um, last but certainly not least, listen to your niche. Um, there are things that interest you that nobody else is interested in. And ultimately, those are going to be the things that make you stand out or set your game apart. Um, I played a prototype game called The Huck. It was a push-your-luck dice-rolling game about Ultimate Frisbee, and I absolutely loved and adored it. I don't give a crap about an Ultimate Frisbee dice game in real life, um, but I did then, and it was pretty great. Um, Wingspan is one of those games 
that is incredibly popular and really, really interesting and intriguing. Uh, but it's a game about bird watching, and it was the smash hit of 2019. Um, nobody cared about bird watching board games before then, but yet, here we are. Last but certainly not least, uh, Mormons, which always gets a chuckle out of people. But if you've played Dogs in the Vineyard, which is a game about fictional Mormon lawmen in a Utah territory that does not exist, fighting against demons and moral corruption, you'll know that that game plays incredibly tight. This was actually made by a Mormon game designer who brought it to a Mormon conference, and it just took off. It's one of the best role-playing games that I've ever played. Uh, last but certainly not least, again, that cross-pollinization um, geese. Untitled Goose Game, one of the best games on Switch. It is just about being a goose who is also just kind of a terrible person. Uh, terrible goose. Terrible goose. Force of nature. Whatever. Uh, but again, listen to your niche. Find the things that are interesting to you or that intrigue you, that make you... Again, that, that sort of, like I guess, rev that creative engine. Uh, and you'll have something interesting and have something that I think will stand out. All right. All right, now we switch over yes, just a little bit. Yes, we switch over to... Now that you're tired yes. of watching me awkwardly sit here at the side of the table. Uh, gosh, you do it so well. I, thanks, I think. You're welcome. Um, I was mostly just trying to get all those slides to cooperate with us because they were not, but we got oh, it. Okay. That's, Thank you, Riley. Riley I, play the best. I play with it. At, you do pretty good yourself. Uh, Speaking of yourself, how are you going to get yourself out there? Um, there's a lot of ways to do it, and there's right ways, there's wrong ways, but first and foremost, it's that media presence. A media presence does not specifically mean you have to be on TV. It doesn't mean that you have to have some huge channel. It doesn't have to be YouTube. You can have a Instagram. You can have a Twitter. You can have a Facebook. You can have a podcast. Literally, just something that lets you show what you've got. Whether what you've got is reviewing, whether it's a game design, whether it's literally just being able to talk about things and put proper words together, which I'm not always the best at, apparently. That's what you got. Show it. Um, with that, connect with other reviewers, connect with your fans, other designers. Don't just stay trying to be yourself and create yourself up. Going back to that networking conversation, going back to the playtesting group, go ahead and connect with other people in your mix. Not only can you get some great ideas from what they're doing, uh, we actually, with our panel the other night, I've actually chatted with some people a little bit about they're, they couldn't make it because they're in the UK and it's currently like five in the morning and they wanted to know how do we connect with people because that's new to them. So that's what we do. That's how we got here. Literally just shooting an email, saying hi and being like, hey, if it's not a bother, I'm interested in doing this. Mm -hmm. If it is a bother, well, it was nice chatting with you anyway. I appreciate your time. And so far, every single one has at least gotten a response back. Yeah. The worst they can say is no. Yeah. And honestly, even if they say no, that doesn't mean that in the future they won't reach out to you. Mm -hmm. There's a huge list that people start creating of content creators. Yeah. Um, with that, just keep your brand and your product relevant. Uh, that doesn't mean that every five minutes you should be spamming a post, but it should mean that you should be out there, whether it is making occasional posts about the development, whether it's getting – if you have a game that you're making and you have the ability to even just send print-and-play versions out to a couple people to keep it relevant – Get it in touch. Get it in people's hands. It is, again, going back to the dungeon crawl. If it's not there, it doesn't work. Um, it's always easier to receive feedback and create that customer-driven product. I'm not trying to jump on you, Kyle. No, no, no. It's good. <laughs> hey, if, but, they, if, they, if they don't like listening to me, maybe they'll listen to exactly. you. Exactly. But honestly, it's just a fun time. 
um, creating this podcast, which Desk and Dorks is a game design podcast where we just group it all together, start throwing random ideas together that we've been given, and building upon just a couple words at a time. It's just fun. It's enjoyable, and as you're building your game, as you're building your group, as you're building your review base, it just... It's something to show. It gives you a little bit of pride. I want to touch on one thing really quick, and I think it's really important that you mentioned about keeping your brand and your product relevant. Uh, I got the chance to talk with a phenomenal author whose name is Robert Olin Butler, a Pulitzer Prize winning author. He told us a lot of great stuff. Uh, one of the things that always resonated with me is take your work seriously, because if you don't, nobody else will. Yep. Um, whether you've got five fans or 500 or 500,000, take it seriously, um, because if you don't, no one else is going to take it seriously. If you are driven to make something, if you're passionate about the games that you create or the fan base that you are building or the product that you can give, be passionate about it. Be serious about it, but own that. Um, yeah. I think I see that's the first, that's the thing that I see the most from like new designers. And I'm, I still consider myself a fairly new designer is like, like, well, um, it's okay. It's fine. Like, no, like, are you passionate about your game? Do you like your game? Run it the same whether you have 10 fans or 1,000 fans. Yes. There should be absolutely zero difference in your mind from the get-go because that's how you succeed. You build yourself a mindset. Yeah. 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 That gets very, very relevant for you to bring up. Um, with that being said, we are huge in podcasting and content creation. That is what we do. Um, so obviously a lot of that networking and a lot of what we do is because of that. Take it a step forward. Talk about something that you love, something that you're passionate about. Because if you don't enjoy talking about it, if you don't take yourself seriously, no one else is going to. There is absolutely no way that you're going to be able to pitch a show about throwing board games idea together if you don't know anything about board games whatsoever. Well, well, as long you as you don't care no, about board games, if you don't care about board games whatsoever, um, check what's out there. That doesn't mean you can't create what you want, and it doesn't mean, again, for your whether it be your reviewing, whether it's your game. There's a lot of deck builders out there. You can still create a deck builder. See what's out there. Create, again, how can you make something new? Mm -hmm. What can you do that's different, even if it builds off of an already established base? Yeah. Embrace that branding. Kind of like Kyle mentioned a couple of, you know, kind of tagging along mine. Jump into it. Fully stick with what you've got. Don't be over the top. Don't be ridiculous. But... If what you have is over the top and ridiculous, keep it at that level. Mm -hmm. um, steadiness goes a long way with keeping steady listeners, keeping that base, keeping people interested in your game. There's a reason Munchkin sells so well, yeah, and it's because it's the same base. Yes, it's got so many different options, but at the end of the day, you pick up a Munchkin box, you know what you're getting, yeah. and that's what you want. Mm -hmm. You want steadiness. We are creatures of habit. Or Catan, for that matter. Like eight gajillion editions of Catan now. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's a Star Trek Catan now. I didn't even know Star Trek was so relevant, but in Star Catan world... Star Trek Catan's been out like eight years now, ten years, well, too. Didn't know ten years ago it was still relevant. Yeah. Apparently yeah. Star Trek's it's, still relevant. And it's still Star Trek Catan's still relevant, too. Right. I know a it's lot of people, that's their favorite edition of the game. Exactly. And there's people talking about how cool it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, with that being said, find your hosting service. And that hosting service doesn't necessarily just mean a podcasting hosting service. Be it Game Crafter for your first time game designs. Mm -hmm. um, I know there's a lot of people that, even when they make prototypes, we actually interviewed a lovely gentleman named Earl from Terrier Games who he only produces on Game Crafter because that's where he's at with his point. He is new to it. He makes his prototypes on there. He sells on there. He jumps into it, he found his hosting service, and he spreads it. He yeah. sends it out to people, he posts about it whenever he gets the chance. 
just like in a podcast, if you're trying to spread your RSS feed, you're trying to throw it out there. You're trying to throw it into all of the Apple podcasts, the Google podcasts. If you're a reviewer, if you're a content creator, you want to be on YouTube, you want to be on Twitch, you want to be on Facebook video and anything people listen to, IGTV. Mm-hmm. Instagram's a huge one now. Branch out. We started with a podcast just to have fun. Game design is something he's always been into. We're looking into games for the podcast. We're doing reviewing of games. We have 17 different channels that we're currently going off of yeah. right now when we started with a podcast. Yep. You don't have to stick exactly with what you do as long as you embrace your branding the whole way. Yeah. I think I think the best thing to talk about is just be passionate about what you've got. Like if you're over the top enthusiastic, we saw a pitch where the guy was like, it's a it's a trivia game, but there's electro juice and you're a brain piloting a robot that answers trivia questions. And it didn't come off as disingenuous. He just loved it. And like he was so into that. It's one of the most passionate pitches of the night. And like and like if you're not that person, if you're the person who's like, this is my game and I like it, they'll know like if you try to shout out like electro juice yeah. that it's disingenuous but it, you know embrace whatever your passion is keep pushing it find your lane and then, but don't be afraid to spread out from there yeah yep and honestly that's all i've got just super basic it kind of again touches on a lot of what you talk, talked about a lot of what you kind of expounded upon but it's that quick little helpful tidbits that getting yourself out there just send that email just make that conversation make that friend i've been chatting with honestly probably three or four people a day just about games not only because we want to review them or we want to look at them or we want to interview them but just because they're genuinely nice people yeah this is the nicest industry i've ever worked in it really it really genuinely is coming from retail being able to just send somebody a message and get a delightful response back is lovely and Again, it's great to have friends. It's great to have connections. We wouldn't be here without ninth level games, literally just because we said hi. Yeah. It, it yeah. This is one where the like of all the industries to be afraid, this is not one of them. Like I got my start because the COO of the company I called, who is Stefan Brousseau over at Yellow Games, was like, Oh crap, I had a phone meeting with you. I'm so sorry. I just got out of the dentist. Let me skip my lunch to talk to you. In what other industry is that gonna happen? None, right? It's a fantastic thing. Uh, some helpful links. I will throw this um, wonderful presentation in, so I won't talk uh, too, too long about this, but there's some toolbox. If you are uh, somebody who wants to write choose-your-own-adventure software, uh, Twine is great. Uh, it's incredibly incredibly simple and very efficient, low-to-the-ground to use. Um, if my mom can code in Twine, you can code in Twine. Trust me. Um, love her dearly, but she is not a computer <laughs> programmer, but it's a fantastic resource. Uh, if you're somebody who wants to be an artist or a graphic designer, or at least wants to tinker around so you've got something basic to work with your own games. Uh, GIMP is a wonderful alternative to Photoshop with a horrible name. Um, (laughs) If you just want to learn information, uh, GDC, which are the talks about GDC, which are talks about game design. It's a game design conference every year. Um, I would highly encourage you to go out and look through. They post all of their talks on YouTube before I found my tribe out here. This is really how I did all my learning and my research. Cause it's not like you can go to the library and be like, how do I work on building a user experience? <laughs> um, again, uh, an example of a self sheet. I've included that as well. Looney labs has a wonderful game called flux. Um, but in my opinion, it's like one of the best sell sheets that I've ever read. Um, the library of Congress actually has a whole photo library. All of these are free to use for your games. Uh, enclosed in a couple of those like i found like old propaganda posters from the u.s which i think it really like are some really really interesting stuff 
there's stuff like blueprints if you're somebody who's like making a heist game or i don't know a roll and write about building ancient farmhouses like those are all available but they're all free to use free to distribute free to do whatever you'd like so even if you're just using them for a prototype uh, that's a good resource as well there's another library of clip art that's also free to use and then there's a board game business podcast I find that people are really passionate about the board game side of things, but might struggle a little bit with the business side of things. I might never be as good as Riley at that, <laughs> but I did have some growing in that place to do, um, in that lane to do. And then uh, that business game podcast was very, very helpful. So I want to go through that because I want to make sure that we've got plenty of time for questions. Uh, that brings us to the end of the formal presentation part. Uh, there's now a slide that says questions at the end. We'll let the the toolbox. Oh, yeah, I, I want the toolbox to stay up a little bit yes. so people could take a look at it. So not to jump over um, Mickey, I just real quick saw the can we get a copy of the sheet? It'll be posted in the Metatopia Discord. Yep. There's... Yes. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. I was about to ask that. <laughs> and then uh, a huge shout out, of course, to Mickey, who is our facilitator, and our, our moderator for today. Our and then a voice in the sky. Yes. Our, who's, it's like our conscience. It's like, Kyle, we haven't spoken in a while. Is that <laughs> you, God? Um, and then, of course, to Berger as well, who's our tech guy for this. Uh, they're fantastic people. So uh, I wanted to, you know, give them a shout out at the beginning. And I totally my excitement got the better of me. But huge shout out to Mickey and Berger. They're they're phenomenal folks from the Metatopia staff. So. Wow, I'm 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 so flummoxed now. I'm not even sure I can ask these questions, but <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much. It's all right. We believe it. Yeah, you've got this. Yeah, you're the man, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, uh, we actually have, for all intents and purposes, one question I'm going to ask now. Uh, I'm not entirely clear about it, but I think I'm going to ask it, and then we'll uh, we'll see if we can tease out uh, what what's going on with it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, the the questioner wanted some advice for new game designers who want to produce games but don't want to do it uh, through the publishing uh, route and just make limited runs for their game but still be profitable without a large scale. I think what they're asking is, uh, do you feel like uh, self-publishing, indie publishing is a viable path to success? Maybe. I think it depends on what kind of game you make. I know there are a number of, I mean, heck, Heather O'Neill, who helped us put this together, Ninth Level Games is, uh, you know, making a pretty decent run of it as an indie publisher for role-playing games. I think role-playing games are a really good place to start because you don't need to worry about replacement parts. You don't need to worry about um, actual, like, physical manufacturing and shipping of your product which I know is something that's like really, really tough for a lot of game designers, particularly new ones. Um, but like, I mean, there's a slew of really, really great role-playing game designers now who are doing stuff. I know, oh my gosh, I'm going to blank on it. It's a, oh, Boy Trouble. That's what it is. It's a sci-fi cyberpunk role-playing game set in the future where you're a bunch of like cyberpunk criminals. You get you know, uh, accosted by this rich patron who wants you to risk your life breaking into a vault. And inside the vault is like 3000 unreleased Carly Rae Jepsen songs. I'm not even joking. This game has sold pretty well. Um, so there's definitely a market for that. I think if you are going to make a smaller run of it, a smaller go of it, I think that's a lot more difficult. I think it depends on what you make. Um, if you're talking about a game that has like here, I'll just pull up one. This is just a game that I, I bought on a whim. This is uh, Thwarted, the vile, villainous game. Uh, if you're doing something small like that, I think that's one issue. If you're like, I'm going to make a 4,000-point 
a 4,000 miniature, uh, you know, 200 pound epic board game in a box, and it's your first time doing anything of that scale, I think you're probably going to run into some some issues. Uh, my advice would be to start small. Uh, start with like a micro game, maybe, or role playing game, something small, something simple, and then a small Kickstarter could be great for that. Or I mean, even if you go into like your local bookstore or your local, you know, your friendly local game store, and you bring it in, and maybe you develop a relationship over time, and they say, hey, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll stock, I'll get like five or six copies of your game, and if that's something that you, you hand make, and then that's something that you sell, then hey, you've sold five or six copies. With um, that, what about like a game crafter? Yeah, Game Crafter is really good. It traditionally the, for, the again the large the small run. Yeah, for a small run. Since that was the specifically the, the price point is really hard on and that. That's what I was curious. You knew anything? Yes, because I I did that for a game that we made in uh, grad school. Um, and like our game realistically probably should have had like a twenty twenty five dollar price point, but uh, at the price that game crafter was charging us in order for us to make a profit on it we had to charge like 35 for what should have realistically been a 25 or 20 dollar game um so game crafter is great if you want a prototype that looks great feels great um is awesome to give to a publisher and or if you know if it's one of those things where you have a series of smaller games like i know ed from terrier does that earl from, um, terrier. Earl from oh gosh earl from terrier does that um and it works pretty well for him but there's not a ton of components in those um or you could do what um button shy games the makers of sprawlopolis do which is they custom order all their stuff from a manufacturing plant in china it shows up unpunched unsorted unsealed um and then he actually puts all of them together by hand before he ships them out personally. Um, and that's just going to be something you'll have to weigh the pros and cons, the costs and benefits of as you go about it. But I would recommend starting with something small. It is definitely a little more difficult uh, to do it without a publisher, but I mean, it, it is doable. And there are people who have self-published or become their own publisher as a result. So True, true. Okay, uh, I want to circle back to something that I think you really touched on earlier in the panel, but maybe we can dig in a little deeper with it. Uh, back to playtesting groups. Um, yeah. Uh, forming playtesting groups and nurturing them uh, in the time of a pandemic. How's that work? <laughs> um, interestingly, <laughs> shall we say? Look, uh, Board Game Arena is great. Tabletopia is great. Tabletop Simulator is great. There are more resources now for digital playtesting than there have ever been. Um, if you're in a state or an area where things are physically open, like our friendly local game store, Let's Play Games and Hobbies in Hanover, is open. I mean, it's masked up only, but... Extremely minimal groups, but you can at least get four people in right. order to do a game. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it depends on what your comfort level is. It depends on... Uh, what your experience level is with Tabletop Simulator, especially I know has been like the big one that everybody seems to like because it seems to be the one that if you invest the time, it tends to be the most effective way of doing that. But I mean, uh, I, like I said at the beginning, I had to play, I had to quote unquote play test a game. So I just put out a call on my like own personal socials and I said, hey, I get that we're all locked inside. Does anybody want a print and play game for two to four players? I'm looking for feedback on it. And it was just a thing of like people that I'd worked with in the industry before, whether that was demo team members or fellow designers or people that were, you know, interested in, in just taking part in it. And I just 
sent them over the files with instructions on how to get me the feedback and then send it over via Gmail. Um, and it wasn't even like one of those things where I bothered to ask what their group makeup was going to be. Um, but it became one of those things where these were friends of mine uh, that I, people that I trusted. And I said, you know what, I'm willing to give you a PDF for it. It's not published anyway yet. So best way to get some feedback to it. So don't be afraid to embrace the print and play mentality. Um, there, there are a lot of great resources for that. I know BGG does a print and play uh, contest every single year. If you ever want to throw your hat in the ring for that, but I mean, your, you know, your quote unquote, your play test group could simply be, you know, if you have friends that have a game group and you don't get to meet them, say, Hey, here's my prototype. Here's the PDFs for it. Um, here's the Dropbox link. So you can post audio of your playtest because you've listened to this talk and you know to do audio mm-hmm. or visuals for your playtest. Um, and then that could be something too. In terms of nurturing those playtest groups, just be willing to be a good playtester for them. Um, or just be willing to, like, if some, like if you know that someone has, like, I don't know, Talisman or, like, Descent or, like, a game that they just really want to get to the table or a design of their own that really want they really want to get to the table, you know, if they do a good turn for you, just make sure that you do a good turn back for them. Um, yes. Yeah, just be, part of nurturing is it's a two-way street, so... Um, those connections and yeah, friends. Yeah, Making exactly. Friends. And Riley's really good at this, too, <laughs> to be honest. Riley's really good at, like, doing yeah. a good turn for other people. Okay, and, yeah, literally yeah. just chatting. like, mm-hmm. And that's, like, with the nurturing it and with the building of it, literally just, like you said, send it out. Yeah. Um, even if you don't have people nearby, there's forums, there's subreddits, stuff like that. You don't just have to go on, like, the huge mm-hmm. things. Literally, there's, like, 17 different board gaming subreddits. Hop on one of those. You can find many people just to chat with and just to send it over, especially if you have an old tabletopia. I was going to say, our game designer has, like, open playtest groups. There's, like, a bunch of different pages for open playtest groups. And honestly, in the age of, like, the accessible Google suite, like, you have no business not being able to be like, all right, cool, here's our closed Google Drive link. Here's the password. Link it out to six or seven of your gamer friends. Your PDFs for your prototype are in there. Um, I've done that a bunch of times and it's been really, really effective. We're doing a role-playing desks and dorks is working on a role-playing game right now that that's how we've gotten all my stuff. And I've role-played over zoom, which isn't ideal, but it, it's what I have access to. Um, right. Right. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got about two, six or seven minutes left and I have one more question. You ready for it? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, say you've designed a game. I, I think we're talking specifically a tabletop role-playing game in this case. Uh, okay. So, uh, and usually when you're demoing a game or showing people a game, you're the GM because you're the designer. But what if you want to experience what it's like to be a player in that game? Uh, how might you set up a playtesting group where you're actually handing the reins over to somebody else who's going to run it, but you're going to be sitting there playing it. That is an interesting question. Uh, I mean, there's a couple ways that you can go about this. We're kind of, or I'm kind of running into this right now with the game that we're working on for Desk and Dorks. But um, so I have play tested it with a close group of friends. One of them really likes it, has read the, has read the prototype back to like cover to cover, like five or six times already. Um, they were going to run it. They they were going to run as the GM a closed play test. So I wasn't going to be part of that session um, for a group of people. Um, that is something that you could have happen as well, where if you know that there's one of your play testers that's familiar with the rule system, wants to be a part of the rule system, and you feel would do a good job with it, that's an absolutely easy way to do that as well. Um, I think in our first game, 
for the test, we didn't have enough players, so I had to play and GM, which was challenging, but it it was a way for me to get in some experience as the player to sort of experience what that was like. And I think that was really beneficial in terms of getting my feedback. My biggest recommendation, find someone that you know is comfortable either with the system or is so eager to try um, and then let them take the reins with it. Um, and that's a risk that you're going to have to take at some point with any role-playing game anyway, is the fact that, like, what if the person who's GMing isn't a good GM? I'm sure there are all of us in this chat who have ever played a role-playing game, and your game master's not suited for it. But as a designer, that is useful to learn, too. What is it like to play through your game when it's a train wreck? Like, I mean, and I mean, that may that sounds painful or scary, but it's it's still useful information to have. But oh, my yeah. recommendation, find somebody who's either confident or eager or has played with you a couple of times. Yes. That way they have a general idea yep. of how it goes. Or if you know somebody who has. Oh, yeah. four minute warning. Thank you. Bert. Uh, yeah. If you have somebody who has like prior board game or role playing game experience, I think that's a really great way to like if you know someone's GM'd like every single game under the sun and yep. they're just like, can I try GMing yours? Sure. Yep, and if it's something like, again, if they haven't played with you before, but they've heard about it and they express interest, there's nothing wrong with sending it to them and getting that completely blind feedback. Just know to expect that it's going to be a little bit rough, Mm -hmm. but that's good because you get to see it from that test. There's nothing wrong with sending it out. Yeah, and do give, if they are planning on GMing and you are planning on, yeah, ask them to record it, but also send them the rule book ahead of time. Um, I am not a GM that likes to prep very much. I've learned over many years of playing D&D that you're going to put the coolest NPC in the bar and then they're going to talk to Sam Smorkle, the goblin who's like flipping <laughs> flapjacks in the back of the bar for two hours. So I don't prep a whole lot, but like give them the option to prep. Um, you know, make that rule book available a week, two weeks before your session or two days before the session if that's the, you know, the earliest that you can get it to them. But, and have them recorded if they're playing yeah. over Discord, use an OBS, use um, audacity i know it's your favorite yeah i love audacity like just use some kind of a recording software since discord doesn't have anything built in um i know tabletopia doesn't have anything built in i don't believe tabletop simulator does to record any of that kind of stuff so definitely just have them record it and see what you can do there's simple voice recorders yeah i'm looking at my phone right now there's literally an app that's just called voice recorder yep it was free on the play store occasionally i get a mobile banner ad that except there's one of the mobile banner ads that pops up but it was free Yep. I can record up to like 48 hours worth of video and then I just port it over to Google Drive if my phone memory starts to tank. Yeah. Nice. All right, so let's use these last couple of minutes. Uh, remind us once again who you are uh, and plug something that you're excited about, maybe even something that you've designed that we can buy and give you money for. Nothing that we've designed is out yet for money, uh, Happy Cactus will be coming out later this year uh, through Duck Yeah Games if you're a fan of cacti and or party games. But uh, you should definitely follow Dusks and Dorks, uh, especially on Instagram. We're most active there. Um, but if you're looking to get involved, our podcast is run primarily through voting. And Riley, why don't you tell them where they could go to do all of yeah. that wonderful so voting first stuff? First and foremost, we're on Facebook. You can literally just search Desks and Dorks. It's facebook.com slash Dorks if you want the direct link. You can join the dad bod, the daddies. You, you can join our fan base if you would like. We would love to have you. At DeskSandDorks.org, you can do all the voting. There's an email link. There's all that fun stuff. It's DeskSandDorks at gmail.com for that email, by the way. You can listen to us. Again, you can 
Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Spreaker, Listen Notes, Geo Siobhan, because that's my favorite one to say. Um, Literally anything. Carrier Pigeon. Some Carrier Pigeon. The pigeons. bottom half of the Rosetta Stone. No, we've, no, yeah, that's right. We're, the, we're on the, yeah. like, the back now, Yes, but yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, getting, we we're getting there. Yeah, we but literally, there. if you Google Desks and Dorks, you'll find us. And uh, sometimes as well on deskanddorks.org, we actually put up, so we obviously we pitch a game every week. But Oh, we, we have all our reviews, yes. our partners on Kickstarter, yep. all of that fun stuff. That's the content that we would love you to check out since we don't have anything to purchase. Or uh, you could check out some of the actual prototypes for some of the games that we have pitched, which are on Desks and Dorks. Some of that's creating calendars or running a simple party game where you're a cuttlefish trying to murder someone. Uh, But you'll occasionally find either pictures to our prototypes or actual prototypes that you can play yourself on our website. Yep. There are some HTML games on there that you can mess around with a little bit. We're not at Neopet level yet, but we'll get there. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there one day. Yes, we will. We'll all get there one day, won't we? (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. This has been fun and uh, it's been a good panel. So, uh, all right, Burger, I guess you can take us out now and we'll say goodbye. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Bye, everybody. Goodbye.